Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, please help us now as we come to your word. Help me to explain it and apply this passage in a helpful way tonight. And Father, may we leave here tonight with a a deeper sense of your grace and care for us, we pray. Amen. Uh, most Most of us will go through moments in life where we just feel broken. Uh, You might be feeling a little like that tonight. Uh, Clicker not working. It's broken. broken. (laughs) Fits quite nicely. We'll just put, oh, there we go. Broken, good. Um, uh, You might be feeling a little broken tonight, perhaps. Discouraged, depressed, distressed at the circumstances uh, that you're having to go through. Around six years ago in my second year of Bible college, I went through a brief period in which I felt pretty broken by my circumstances. Uh, During the first half of that year, I could feel myself just becoming increasingly overwhelmed by the pressures of life and study. Uh, But it all came to a head when we moved into a new rental house in Greensboro. Now, this move probably would have been stressful in most normal circumstances for me, but there were just a few other factors Uh, that were part of that moment that kind of just broke me. For example, this move coincided with a Hebrew exam at college that I was having to stay up late repeatedly to study for. There was also a Bible talk that I had to prepare for the following weekend, and our only daughter at the time was in the terrible twos and just needing more time, more attention. And on top of all this, The house we moved into was just filthy, hadn't been cleaned before we moved in. And so we spent what little time we had just scrubbing walls and windows and floors. And I remember thinking in that moment, what what am I doing here? Why have I decided to move house at this time of life? But the straw that broke the camel's back was in one of those late-night cleaning sessions. Uh, I had decided to pull the oven forward in the kitchen to see whether behind it needed a bit of a clean, and what I saw was a sludgy, thick mess of decades' worth of grease and dust. When I saw that and then saw the exasperated look of my wife, who saw it too, I broke I slumped down onto one of our kitchen chairs, threw my face into my hands, and I just wept. In that moment, I was more than willing to echo Elijah's cry, I have had enough, Lord. When I think back to that second year of my Bible college experience, I often think, yes, that was the year that broke me. Now, I know that there are some of you here tonight who know what it is to be broken. Some of you, I know, have walked much longer, much harder paths than the one I just described. But the truth of the matter is that most of us will probably go through uh, periods of life where we feel broken to some degree, where we despair of life itself and think that we just can't go on, actually. In those kind of moments, we need to know that God has actually, actually has a heart that cares for us and is actually willing to help. And it's that heart of God that I think we see coming uh, out of this passage tonight. 
It shows us the grace and kindness God has towards his servant Elijah when he breaks down in despair and distress. And though Elijah is in many ways uh, quite removed from us, distinct from us in his role as God's prophet, we shouldn't think that God's gracious attitude towards him is something that's out of reach for us when we're likewise broken. Uh, The book of Hebrews makes it clear that God uh, is gracious to us too in our moment of need. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. The God who shows grace to Elijah in this passage is the same God who shows grace to us in Christ today. So what I want to do is think through four particular ways that God gives grace to his broken servant here and then uh, do some thinking about how it all applies to us. So the four things I want to think about is this, uh, that God sustains his life of Elijah, that God listens to Elijah's cry, that God speaks words of promise to Elijah and that God provides help to Elijah in his ministry. They're the four graces that I want to think about, but first I want to think about some context. See, what's happening to Elijah at the start of this passage? You might recall from last week that Elijah had actually enjoyed quite the victory. Elijah had gone head-to-head with the prophets of Baal over which God Israel should worship as a true God, and Elijah's God, our God, wins spectacularly where the Baal's prophets kind of call out repeatedly, cutting themselves without success for their God to just show up and do something, Elijah simply offers up one prayer, asking God to show his power, and immediately and spectacularly, God sends fire from heaven on Elijah's soaking wet sacrifice. And in the aftermath of all this, things are actually looking quite promising. A God is shown to be the true God, among the Israelite spectators, the wicked prophets of Baal are destroyed, and you get the sense that even the Baal-worshipping Ahab is kind of getting convinced at that point. Things are actually looking up for Elijah, and there's a palpable feeling, I think, at the end of that chapter that revival is on its way in Israel. But that feeling is completely squashed at the beginning of our chapter tonight, in chapter 19. When Queen Jezebel hears from her hubby Ahab everything that happened, including the execution of her beloved prophets of Baal. And what happens is, tragically, instead of repentance, she seeks revenge. She sends a message to Elijah that basically says, verse 2, when I find you, I'm going to kill you for what you did. Now, in verse 3, we read that Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. Uh, But I actually think a slightly better translation of that verse reads like this, Elijah saw and ran for his life. Uh, And you actually might have a footnote on that verse in your Bibles, and you can speak to me a little bit more about why I've gone for this verse afterwards. Uh, But you see, what difference does the word saw make over and against the word afraid in this verse. I actually think it's quite crucial for understanding the state of mind Elijah is in at this point in the passage and in the story. You see, if we think that fear is the 
uh, is the private, that fear for his life is driving him, it's actually sort of hard to make sense of the fact that he's actually happy for his life to be taken from him in verse 4. But what I actually think is going on with Elijah is that he's actually just completely discouraged and broken by the fruitless response he sees in Jezebel's reaction. You see, he wanted revival in Israel, but what he sees is her stubbornness, her stubbornness that has influenced Ahab and he's convinced will influence Israel. In Elijah's mind, nothing's changed in Israel. His ministry, even that aspect of his ministry, has been a complete failure in his mind and it breaks him. That's why he cries in verse 4, I have had enough, Lord. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. You see, I think Elijah runs for his life not in order to save it, but to deny Jezebel the satisfaction of taking it. That's why he heads down into the southern kingdom of Judah into the middle of nowhere and says to God, take my life. I've had enough. I don't think Elijah is primarily driven by fear here, but brokenness. Someone who is totally discouraged by yet another display of rejection to the God he loves and he wants Israel to love. So how does God respond to his broken prophet? Well, as I mentioned at the start, God responds with four acts of grace and tenderness. So let's think about the first way God shows grace to Elijah. God sustains Elijah in his brokenness. Uh, When we're overwhelmed or discouraged, broken by life, it's often natural uh, to default to thinking that we just simply can't go on. Uh, That's how I felt in that moment at the kitchen bench. I'm sure many of you have felt like that too. My study is just so overwhelming, I can't go on. My marriage is just so difficult, I can't go on. My loneliness is just so discouraging, how can I keep living like this? One thing is very clear in our passage, Elijah feels like he can't go on, and yet God in his grace keeps him going. You see it there in the middle of verse 5, an angel of the Lord comes to Elijah when he's lying down, places a hot loaf of bread, jar of water right beside him and says, get up and eat. God sustains Elijah. And he does it a second time, doesn't he? In verse 7, the angel of the Lord uh, came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God, and there he went into a cave and spent the night. Now I'm going to speak in a moment about the significance of where Elijah ends up in Horeb, uh, because it is significant. But for now, I just want want you to see the first way God is showing grace to a broken servant here. He sustains him. He keeps him going when he's at his lowest point. And this, I think, is a reminder to us that God is both willing and able to sustain us when we're at our lowest. He keeps us going when we think there's nothing left in the tank. Now, that doesn't mean that all our discouragements and despair will just suddenly evaporate. God actually doesn't promise that to us. 
And even Elijah wasn't freed from his despair. It's clear that he's still quite a broken man when he's speaking with God on the mountain later on. Uh, What it does mean, I think, is that by God's grace, God gives you the power to endure through periods of life that you might otherwise think you couldn't endure. And I suspect many of you have actually experienced God's grace in this way. Times in your life where you think, I don't know how I got through that, but I did. I don't know how I kept functioning in so much grief. I don't know how I survived under so much stress. I don't know how I endured through that broken relationship. God sustains his people in their brokenness. He helps us to keep going in our faith in Jesus and in our life. God gave Elijah strength when he needed it. And the New Testament affirms that he gives strength to us too through the spirit of Christ in us. The Apostle Paul affirms this when he says, I can do everything through him, Christ, who gives, us, who gives me strength. Paul was confident that he can endure all sorts of situations, not because he had a high view of himself, but because he had a high view of Christ's power at work within him. God in his grace sustains Elijah and he sustains us too. Uh, But the second act of grace that we see in this passage is the simple fact that actually God listens to the cry of his broken servant. Uh, You know someone cares about your pain when they're actually willing to hear about it. And the opposite is true. If someone doesn't really care, they don't really want to hear about it. Uh, I remember experiencing this contrast in care and attention uh, in in the aftermath of being physically assaulted in an unprovoked attack. Now, in the aftermath of that, I had on the one hand my boss at work who in the days following just was so kind, would come in, check on me, want to ask how I'm going, how's everything. And on the other hand, I had a doctor who was told I had to get checked out by who when she saw the amount of paperwork the police medical forms required of her, literally groaned. One person seemed ready to listen, the other seemed ready for knock-off time. Well, God in this passage is ready and willing to hear Elijah out in his pain. And notice that he gives him two different opportunities to unload the burdens of his heart. It's kind of like my boss who cared and was ready to listen. I'm here, I'm listening. Uh, When God asks Elijah in verse 9 and then again in verse 13, what are you doing here, Elijah? It's actually not so much a rebuke as it is an invitation for him to cry out to God. Now, why do I read that question as an invitation to talk and not a rebuke? Well, if we take it as a rebuke, it would have to assume, uh, we'd have to assume that God in some way is displeased with Elijah for traveling all the way from Israel to Horeb, making that big trek there, if you can see it. It would be like God saying, Uh, why are you all the way down here, Elijah, and not up in Israel doing your job? But actually, the words and the actions of the angel back in verse 7 suggest that it was actually God who was kind of directing Elijah to Horeb and God who had actually given him enough energy to get there. God's question, I believe, is an invitation for Elijah to pour out his heart and state his case against Israel. 
And I actually think that's why Elijah is directed to Horeb, the mountain of God, because that is the place where God entered into covenant relationship with Israel, made Israel his people, his treasured possession. Elijah is being reminded that God takes his relationship with Israel seriously. It matters to him when they ignore him. He is grieved by their idolatry. In bringing Elijah to Horeb, God is saying, you are free to state your case to me because I understand your grief over my covenant people. And notice that Elijah doesn't hold back when God gives him the green light to talk. So you just look at what he says in verse 10. He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. See, Elijah is not primarily, he's not broken primarily because his life is in danger, but because the God he loves has been so utterly despised by the people uh, that he had saved and entered into covenant relationship with. And you see it there in his words, your covenant rejected, your altars torn down, your prophets put to the sword. Now we'll think in just a moment about uh, what God has to say in response to this, Uh, but the point I want to highlight right now is the simple fact that God is willing to hear the cry of this broken servant. Uh, In his kindness, God says, basically, go ahead, spill it, I'm listening, and I understand. God isn't distant or indifferent. He actually wants to hear the cries of his people. Uh, This was true for Elijah in his unique moment, and it's actually true for us in our brokenness too. The apostle uh, Peter tells Christians who likewise are in relationship with God to cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Uh, When you feel broken in some measure, uh, do you take up that invite, that privilege to unburden your heart by speaking to God about it? Uh, I really didn't like my last couple of years of high school. Uh, In fact, I would say I struggled a lot during that time. My parents, of course, knew this and it mattered to them because I mattered to them. Um, And I remember my dad would get home from work every day and he'd ask the same question, how is school today? And every day I would respond in the exact same way, good. I've noticed my kids have started doing that too, actually. Um, But you see, my dad who cared was actually ready to listen. He was inviting me to speak with that question But in routinely kind of fobbing that question off, I actually missed out on an experience, uh, on the experience of loving care and attention that he was prepared to give me. Instead of relating to my dad and unburdening my soul, seeking his advice, asking for help, I actually kind of just held it all in. And well, that didn't do me any good. We don't want to be like that with God. We want to be like Elijah and be honest with him when we are broken. God, in his grace, listens to Elijah and he listens to us. The third act of grace uh, that God shows towards Elijah is found in the words of promise 
that God speaks to him. Uh, So Elijah has spoken with God. Now God responds to Elijah. Uh, But notice first the way God kind of prepares Elijah for this response. He tells him in verse 11 uh, to go stand on the mountain because the presence of the Lord is about to pass by. But interestingly, God's presence, not uh, seen in the spectacular displays of wind or the terrifying earthquake, verse 11, or the fire, verse 12, God's presence comes in the gentle whisper of his word. Uh, Moses had actually experienced something a little bit similar in the same location centuries earlier. God had said his presence, had told Moses his presence would likewise pass him by, and when it did so, what happened? Well, God's voice spoke again, declaring God to be compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love, and yet not leaving the guilty unpunished. Elijah, like Moses before him, experienced the presence of God in the word of God. But it kind of feels a bit like an anticlimax. I mean, we look at the wind and the, and the earthquake and the fire and think, yes, that's the kind of God I want. One who comes in spectacular displays of power, a quiet word, I don't know, just sort of seems a bit lackluster. But actually, that is what God gives Elijah and to us, and it's powerful. If we want to find God, if we want his help for our brokenness, it's actually going to be found in his word. His word which contains his promise, his promises. So what does God's word actually promise to Elijah when he's standing there as that broken man before God? Well, first, God promises Elijah that justice will be done against the rebellion and wickedness that has flowed from Ahab and Jezebel. Uh, And that's what all that anointing is about in verses 15 to 16. Uh, God says that Hazael will become king over the kingdom of Aram, Jehu king over Israel, and Elisha will succeed Elijah as prophet. Uh, God says that basically together these guys will bring the sword of God's judgment against the idolatrous house of Ahab. Uh, In verse 17, we read that Jehu will put to death any who escape from the sword of Hazael. Elisha will put to death any who escape from the sword of Jehu. See, Elijah is actually being reassured here by God that justice will be done. And you can go away this week and read 2 Kings chapter 9 and 10, and there you'll see how those three names kind of fulfill the promise and actually do end up putting to death Ahab's house and all the remaining prophets of Baal. God is promising justice to Elijah. But secondly, God is promising grace for Israel. Uh, Look at verse 18. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, all whose whose mouths have not kissed him. Uh, Part of the reason Elijah is so broken is because he thinks all of Israel has basically been lost to idolatry, idolatry at this point. But God says to him, well, actually, all are not lost. In my grace, I reserve 7,000 who will continue to worship me and not Baal. God is telling Elijah, in your brokenness, take heart in my promises of justice and mercy. I know you feel like the bad guys are winning. They won't. I know that you think all is lost in Israel. It's not 
Hold fast to my word of promise in your brokenness, Elijah. Uh, There's a scene in the movie Bruce Almighty where Jim Jim Carrey's character Bruce stands out in the rain absolutely broken by his life circumstances. He's lost his job. He just feels like his life is kind of one disappointment after the other. And in his frustration, he just starts yelling at God. You're the one who should be fired for not doing your job. Answer me. And I think that scene really kind of resonates with a lot of people because, well, in our hardships, in our brokenness, it's actually easy to believe that God kind of has no interest in us, that he does nothing and he refuses to speak when we actually really want him to. You see, we long for him to speak into our pain like he does for Elijah here. But actually what the author of Hebrews in the New Testament reminds us is that God does continue to speak, speak to us. But that he does now, that he does so now in Jesus Christ. You see, if we want to know what God's answer to our brokenness or our suffering is, what hope he gives us, well, we need to listen to his word now finally given to us in Jesus. And you see, as you listen to that word of Christ in the Bible, you actually hear promises by God that speak directly into the brokenness of our lives and world. You hear promises of Christ uh, assuring us of the forgiveness of sins through faith in Jesus and his death and resurrection, promises that speak of eternal life and a renewed creation where suffering, brokenness is actually gone forever, promises that reassure us that Christ is with us in our pain, promises that reassure us of God's ultimate justice at the judgment day, a day in which every sin and every evil ever done will be accounted for. You see, which of God's promises in Christ do you need to be hearing in your moments of brokenness and trial? Uh, When you're devastated by a bad diagnosis, worried about your life, Christ is telling you, in God's word, that your life is safe with him, that he will raise you up again at the last day. When you're feeling angry or devastated by the injustice and sin that you have experienced yourself or that others have, Christ is telling you in the Bible that he will bring every evil deed to account at that last day. When you're feeling grieved by your own sin and your own repeated failure, well, Christ is telling you that you are forgiven as you trust in him, and you'll one day be freed from that grievous power and presence of sin in your life, in the new creation. You see, in God, in Christ, God still graciously speaks his promises into our brokenness. Uh, but the final act of grace that we see shown to this broken prophet, I think, is in the provision of Elisha. God provides this young man as both a ministry successor and a ministry support. Uh, I don't know if you've ever experienced the joy of having a faithful, devoted co-worker, co-worker coming on board in your ministry. I have. 
Uh, One of the greatest blessings during my time as Bundy Youth Group Coordinator, which I was many years ago, was when the Lord raised up Andrew Wirt. (laughs) When the Lord raised up Andrew to serve alongside and then succeed me in that position. Uh, I found youth group coordination in those early days rewarding and good, but very tough. And that's why I was so happy when God gave me Andrew. Uh, He was someone who was a great support and encouragement to me at a personal level. He clearly had a passion and a gift for sharing the gospel with teenagers much more than I did. I was blessed because I knew that when Andrew took over youth group coordination, this ministry wouldn't just simply continue, it would actually thrive under God's grace. See, Andrew was a wonderful grace to me in my ministry to Bundy Youth. In our time of need, God often gives us just the right provision, the right person to help us. Elisha was a great provision to God, to Elijah. Elijah had lamented the fact that he was the only prophet left in Israel. But in Elisha, this would no longer be the case. You're not on your own anymore. Elijah had lamented the fact that his ministry was basically a failure. No results. Well, in Elisha, it would continue. God's word would keep getting proclaimed. Elisha is a devoted and a faithful servant. And that comes out in the last section of this chapter when Elijah finds him working on the family farm and then he signals his desire to bring him into the ministry by throwing the cloak around him, verse 19. Elijah follows straight away, verse 20. He actually cuts off all ties with his former way of life in order to set out on a new life of service with Elijah. He gives his mum and dad a kiss goodbye and he burns up all his ploughing equipment and cooks up the oxen for all the locals to eat and celebrate. Elisha uh, makes clear to his family and to his community that he's no longer a farmer but a servant of God in the ministry of Elijah. Then he set out to follow Elijah and became his servant. Uh, In God's grace, Elijah received a faithful servant and successor in Elisha. God often provides for us in our time of need by bringing other faithful people into our lives to help help us and to achieve his own purposes. Brothers and sisters who encourage us, who support us, who will serve alongside us. Uh, I've found this to be the case time and again in my life and ministry. Paul found this to be the case with his co-worker Timothy, who he says there is no one else like him, Philippians 2. God graciously uh, gives us each other in our Christian lives. He provides us with a community who we're called to love and serve and look after. Uh, there's one particular guy in my life who I know I can always go to in difficult times. At the beginning of Bible college, this guy basically told me, I want to help you through this experience. I'm here to encourage you and support you in your marriage, in your family, in your ministry. And he's been a great blessing to me ever since. And so if you're feeling 
but you're struggling, a little broken, isolated, a bit burnt out, actually come and talk with me. Uh, we want to support you. We want to help you so that you're not on your own. God, in his grace, provides us with help within often the community of believers. Uh, 1 Kings 19 gives us an insight into God's grace to his broken servant. He sustains him, he listens to him, he speaks words of promise to him, he provides help for him. Now, the way in which God shows us grace may look different to Elijah in the specifics. We're not a prophet with a specific role like Elijah, uh, but if you're a follower of Jesus, you can be sure, assured that in your times of brokenness, that God will likewise graciously sustain you, that he'll listen to you, speak good promises to you in Christ, and provide for you according to his will. And if you doubt this, that God will show you grace in those moments, you just simply have to think upon God's love for you and grace towards you at the cross. You actually have to think, if God was prepared to send his son to die for me, will he really fail to show me grace in my moments of need as they come? Paul kind of says something similar in Romans 8.32, where he says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for all of us, will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Eternal life, the glory of God, but also grace in this life. I've been reflecting on that moment at the kitchen bench throughout this week as I've reflected on, as I've thought about this passage, and I've been thinking, how would I now respond to a similar moment? Uh, Because the truth of the matter is I could easily see myself at some point getting crushed in a similar way in the future. Well, this chapter has reminded me that the next time I feel broken, I need to remember God's grace to me in that moment. I need to remember that God will sustain me. Christ will give me grace and help me to endure. I need to remember he'll listen to me. I don't need to simply suck it up or push through. I can actually talk with God about it. I can be honest with him and ask for help. He cares and wants to listen to me. And I need to remember he speaks words of promise to me in that moment in Christ. Jesus has saved me from my sin in this bro- and this broken world. He is bringing me to a glorious day where I'll be free of stress, free of a sense of failure. And I need to remember that God provides for me. He's given me a a community, co-workers in the gospel, to encourage and support me. In his grace, God sustains, God listens, God speaks, and God provides. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, thank you that in Christ we can call you Father. Thank you for your grace to your people that we've been reflecting on tonight. Please help us to cling to you when we feel broken. Help us to remember that you will graciously sustain us. You will hear our cry, that you speak words of promise to us, and that you provide for our needs according to your will. We give you thanks for this, Lord. Amen.